last week we looked at Paul was again encouraging and urging faithfulness to the gospel that he had preached to the Galatians. Uh, throughout the entire Galatian book, Paul is, is dealing with uh, the Galatians that have been falsely taught by uh, uh, false teachers of the Jewish faith, the Judaizers, and he has to be dealing with them by letter. And we know that he is frustrated with them, but at the same time, he has them in love and care, and he wants to, to uh, uh, see that they are in the right track. So as we get into chapter 5 this evening, we'll read the first 15 verses, and then we'll get to studying on this. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to the, do the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law. You are fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in, Christ, in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor is uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Ye did run well who did hinder you, that you should not obey the truth. This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would have, I would they were even cut off, which trouble you. For brethren, ye have been called into liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Paul is continuing his, his dealings with the Judaizers and the uh, false teachings that they had dealt with uh, to the Galatians. And in the first verse he says, Stand fast, therefore. Stand fast. Keep a hold. Don't move. Stand your ground. Don't let it get uh, taken away. And he's talking about the liberty, the freedom we have in Christ, that freedom that he has been talking about throughout the entire book of Galatians, that freedom in Christ that we have, that we are no longer under that bondage of the law. As we had uh, looked at this in verse chapter 1, we looked at the, Paul had to go back, and we look in verse Acts 15, where Paul had to go back and talk with Peter and James and John about a false uh, teaching that they were being taught uh, about circumcision. And Paul brings that back up here again in this situation. And he tells them, he said, I don't want you to be in bondage again. You need to stand fast in the liberty in which Christ has given you. When we come to Christ by grace through faith and accept Christ as, his, as our Savior, he gives us that freedom, that freedom from the power of sin, that freedom from the bondage 
that the old law had been keeping them in. And be not entangled again, he says, with the yoke of bondage. They, they had the idea that they, uh, the Judaizers had been teaching them, as, as we've been seeing, that uh, you can get saved, but you still have to go and follow the laws of Jews, of the Jewish uh, faith. Uh, in this situation, he deals with the circumcision again. He said, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Circumcision means nothing. Now, it was a, a command in the Old Testament to Abraham to circumcise his family and his descendants, his sons and his descendants. And it continued on to that. But as we had looked back in chapter 4, or chapter, yeah, chapter 4, when Christ came, that was no longer needed. When, when we accepted Christ, we didn't need to go follow those Jewish laws, those Mosaic laws. He says, circumcision means nothing. Christ is not going to profit you anyway. Not in circumcision. Circumcision doesn't do anything. It was a covenant sign for those of Abraham and his family. It was a sign of that covenant that he gave them. Look back into, um, see where I'm at here. Um, Leviticus. No, Genesis, I'm sorry. Genesis. Genesis. Got this right down. Genesis 17. Genesis 17, and God comes to Abraham and he tells him, he says this, he says, And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee and their generations for an everlasting covenant. To be a God unto thee, and to be and they and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore, thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you, and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised, and ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token, a sign of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man child in your generation. He that is born in the house, or bought with money, of any stranger, which is not of thy seed. He that is born in thy house, and he that is bought with thy money, must needs be circumcised, and by covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man-child whose flesh of the foreskin is not circumcised, that so shall be cut off from his people. This was a covenant sign from God in the Old Testament to Abraham. It, would, it meant nothing. When Christ came, Christ himself was circumcised on the eighth day. But when he came and started his teaching, and, and we now have him as our uh, uh, Savior, that circumcision means nothing. Uh, it's like baptism. Baptism is a command by Christ. We are to repent and be baptized. But does it do anything? Does it save us? No. It's a sign. It's a public 
annunciation. Uh, 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 it's a public. Um, now I can't even think of the word I'm wanting. It's a public show or, or, or event that we do to show that we associate with Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. It does not save us. It does not keep us saved. Matter of fact, it doesn't even cleanse us. It's a representative act. And, yeah. <laughs> he says, I testify to any man who circumcised that circumcision doesn't do anything. Christ taught it himself. He says, you are to be circumcised, you are to be, I'm sorry, to be baptized in his name. But that baptizing doesn't do anything. It's a public annunciation. It's a public show that we associate with him. But he says here, he says, for I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. In the time of, of, of Paul, he says, if you go and, and decide to go ahead and follow the Judaizers and follow in their steps and go ahead and get circumcised, one, Christ, not, it doesn't mean anything to Christ to you. He's not going to profit you anything for it. Two, if you're going to do that, you might as well follow all of the laws. Go on back to, to all the Judaizers and, and start learning all the laws that they went through whether it was of Christ or whether for God or not God. He said, if you are going to be circumcised, then you are a debtor to the whole law. You need to go ahead and follow the whole law if you're going to do that. Okay? Yeah, you know, you, you tell your child, you know, you can't do this. But if you're going to do it, you're going to do it all the way. Okay? If, if you're going to take on the job, uh, you're not going to just start it and then walk away. You're going to do the whole thing. You're going to keep doing it. He says, Christ became no effect unto you. Whosoever you are justified by the law. Justification is not by law. It's by faith. But he's telling these Galatians, he's saying that if you're going to do this, if you're going to follow these the Judaizers and go back and start doing these, these circumcisions, then you're trying to be justified by the law. And those who are justified by the law, it doesn't mean anything to Christ. We'll go on, we'll see that. He'll say it right down here. But he goes on, he says, you're being justified by the law. You're fallen from grace. A lot of uh, theologians I read, some of them, uh, there's a controversy on this part. Because some people will read this as, well, they fell out of uh, salvation. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's not saying that they, they've lost their salvation. That stays. God never takes away anybody's salvation once they're truly saved. But what he is saying is, you have fallen out of the grace of God. You've fallen away from God's mercy. When we, when we sin, and we do, God kind of looks away and says, well, until you come back to me, until you repent, until you say you're sorry, until you come back to me, you know, I, I will, you know, I'm just going to stand over here and wait for you. You fell out of God's grace, he says. They fell out of his grace. They fell out of his, his mercy. They just, they separated. God's not going to bless as long as they are in that sin. 
okay? He says, you've fallen out of grace. Those who are being justified by the law may even not, you know, maybe they're not even saved in the first place. But we, we don't know that. That's not what Paul's talking about. But he is talking about that. If you're going to follow the laws of the Judaizers, of the Jewish faith, then you've got to remember these Galatians, are, most of them were Gentiles. They weren't all Jews. So you have these Judaizers, these Jews coming in and teaching them that you can be saved, but you've still got to follow these laws to keep your salvation. It's like some churches around here that would teach, well, you got saved, and that's all good and grief. Now you've got to prove it. They want you to speak in tongues. Tongues don't go anymore. That doesn't happen anymore. That ended in Pentecost. But they say, oh, no, you've you got to prove yourself. God says in his word, if we're going to prove ourselves that we're saved, it comes from our love and our works. Works don't save us, but works is what we do after we're saved. To prove that we follow Christ. To do the things that he has called us to do. He goes on to say, in verse 5, he said, we through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness. Turn over to Romans 8, verse 24 and 25. Verse 24 in Romans 8 says, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why does he yet hope for? But if we hope for that which we see not, then we do with the patience wait for it. What are we waiting for? What is our objective to wait on Christ? Our hope. What is that hope? Heaven. Our final reward when we leave here. He says, through the Spirit we wait for the hope. When we get saved through grace, by faith, we believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We accept Christ as our Savior. We now have a home in heaven, and it is our job from that point on to do Christ's work for him here on earth that he has given us to do so that we will receive our hope, our heaven, our reward. That hope is that heaven. He says, through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, we wait for the hope of righteousness, that righteousness, that final point reward that we get when we leave here. We are not completely righteous yet. We are working on that. Okay? When we see Christ, the day that we leave this earth, we go before him, then we will be completely righteous. Now, we are righteous in the eyes of Christ because he sees God, because he sees Christ in us and the Holy Spirit of us. He said, we're waiting for that hope of righteousness. Just like Romans says, what we don't see, I mean, if we, I'm not hoping that plant's going to grow because I can see it growing, right? I don't have, I don't, I'm not sitting there thinking, I'm hoping that tree's going to grow. I can see it growing. But I can't see heaven from here. I can't see that final reward. So I hope in it. I, I pray it's not that I have this hope, and that hope doesn't mean, well, I, 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 you know, you're, you're waiting for it to happen. You're doubtful about it. It's a hope that is secured. 
We are looking forward to it. We are in that hope. And it is by faith and faith alone. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh, work, worketh by love. Again, circumcision, uncircumcision, it means nothing to Christ. It has nothing to do with it. And Paul is still dealing with this through the Galatians because they're still trying to get that old Jewish laws, Mosaic laws. They're wanting the Galatians to go back to that. Or at least go into that. We talk about, you know, churches around here. that, And it's not just that one of speaking in tongues. There are others. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that to be saved, you've got to do this, 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 and this. You've got all of these different uh, rituals. You've got all these different things you have to do to be saved, to go to heaven. And if you don't do it, you go to purgatory. And if you're lucky, maybe your family will pay some money and get you out of purgatory. That's false. Paul still has to deal with this. He, he's trying to get them to understand that this is all false doctrine that the Judaizers are teaching them. And he's still dealing with that circumcision deal, even back in Acts 15. He says that circumcision and non-circumcision availeth nothing. It means nothing to Christ. What does matter to Christ is your faith in him, your belief upon him as the Savior, as the Son of God. This is what he's trying to get to these people. 1 Corinthians 7, 9. I can find Corinthians. There we go. 1 Corinthians 7, 9. But if they cannot contain, let them marry. No, I haven't said it yet. Ooh, where am I at? 1 Corinthians oh, 19. I'm sorry. I <laughs> get the wrong one there. Circumcision is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing. But the keeping of the commandments of God. By faith in Christ that's how we keep it. That's how we will see the hope that we are looking for. Then he goes on to say in verse 7, he says, Ye did run well. Who did hinder you? They started out this race, and Paul uses the word as, as an athlete of racing, you know, he, running a race. He uses that in several of his, his uh, epistles. But he said, You started out real good. You, you got saved. You start doing the work, you, you start believing, you start doing the things that needs necessary to do, and then all of a sudden you stop. And he says, who hindered you that you should not obey the truth? He speaks to that runner. They're, they're running along, and, and they're doing just great, and they're, 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 they're breathing fine, and they're making their way. And then all of a sudden, you ever seen the old cartoons, Bugs Bunny and, and all those, and they're running and racing. All of a sudden, the one that's in the lead gets up to this sign that says, finish line, not finish line, or somewhere else, and he switches the sign. And so when the next person comes up, oh, there it is. They go the wrong way, right? This is what they've been doing, these Jews were doing to the Galatians. And Paul says, who hindered you? Who, who, who got you off the right track and onto the wrong track? And he wants you to understand, by doing this, they are causing you to disobey the truth. 
And when somebody gets you to change your idea of what the truth is, you need to rethink that. I, I, this may not be anything to it, but I was in a church here recently, and I was walking through the hall coming from the bathroom, and I looked on the wall, and they had all these plaques, these awards, on the wall. And I got to look at them, and I said, whoa. All the way back to 2011, 2010, 2009, right? And you know what they were for? Church growth. They won an award for getting most people in their church for that year. Doesn't say anything about salvation or, or saved people. It just says how much they got in their church. They're winning awards for the most people that they're counting as coming to church for that year. That's not a race we want. The race we want is to give God the glory and the honor that people are coming and being through the power of Christ, through the power of the word, are getting saved and building the church of God. He says, you did start running well. You started out good. Who hindered you to disobey? Who hindered you from the truth? He said, this persuasion, this hindering, this persuasion didn't come from him who called you. This didn't come from God. You hear a lot of people will come out and say, well, God told me this. God showed me this. God told me this. God didn't tell you anything. If you read it in the Bible, you understood what God said. God doesn't audibly talk to people anymore. He will through the Spirit. He'll, he'll, he may deal with something, but anything he says to you through the Spirit, it's already been said once. We're just not listening. He said, who hindered you from obeying? This persuasion that they're causing you to think, that didn't come from God. Those Judaizers that's falsely teaching you, they are not of God. I think of all these televangelists we have out here, Kenneth Copeland and, and Marilyn Hickey and Joyce Meyer and what's that other idiot? Uh, well, Benny Hinn and uh, the big one down in Houston. Joel Osteen, that's who I'm talking about. Yeah. All these guys, they are not in that for the souls. They're in it for the money. And they are hindering those people that are truly, truly uh, saved by Christ. They're hindering them. They may not lose, those folks may not lose their salvation if they're truly saved. But they're hindering them in the walk in which God has set forth for them, set to them. They are persuading people of different doctrine. They're not persuading them to follow Christ. And Paul throws in a little statement here which we've seen several times throughout the scriptures a little leaven leavens the whole lump that can go both positive and negative uh, you women who bake if you put too much yeast in your dough what happens it's going to overflow right it's going to get too big but you got to put just enough and in the same way that's a negative thing but in the same way in the positive if you put just enough, you'll get the perfect loaf. Paul was talking, basically, he's saying to them, he said, you know, 
the doctrine that you're learning, you're, you're putting out. You're sharing it on with somebody else, and guess what you're doing? You're just making the loaf bigger. Too much of that leaven is going to ruin the whole loaf. I have confidence in you through the Lord. He now decides to give them a little bit of confidence, a little bit of uh, uh, encouragement. He says, I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will not another otherwise remind us. In other words, I have confidence that if you're listening to what I have to say in my letter, and God deals with you on it, if Christ through the Holy Spirit helps out, you're not going to go that way. You're going to change your mind and come on and stay where you're supposed to be, steadfast in that liberty, steadfast in that hope, and not go back to that uh, uh, bondage that you once were. Remember we talked about the Galatians were in bondage to their, their pagan deities and stuff. He said, you won't go back to that. He said, I have confidence through the Lord that you will not do that. But he that troubles you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. When a preacher gets up to preach, he's going to stand before God just like everybody else. And if he is talking false doctrine, if he's not teaching the word of God, he's going to answer for that. Brother Terrell sitting right there. He can advise that we, anybody who teaches God's word, who preaches God's word, there is going to be a, a, probably a worse state when they stand before God. If they're doing... You know, we need to pray for Joe Osteen. We need to pray for Marilyn Hickey and Joyce Meyer and all of those because one day they're going to stand before God like the rest of us. And because of what they're doing right now, they're going to have a worse faith than we will. We may be sinners and we may... We may go to heaven with a bunch of stuff under our belt, but they, because of their training, their teaching, their, their hypocrisy, their heresies, they're going to find out worse. Joel thinks he's living his best life now. He probably is. Because when come judgment day, he's going to find out it was his best life. Because it may be worse than that. He said, I have confidence in you that you, through the Lord, that you will not be mighty, you will wisely minded, but he that troubles you shall bear the judgment whosoever he be. Paul doesn't say who the guys are that's doing this, but he knows that they're Judaizers. He knows that they're falsely teaching, and they will stand before God and answer for it. Now he goes on here. He says now, because he was, well, has been falsely accused of a lot of stuff, and this is why he's writing this letter partly. He says, And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why, am I, why do I yet suffer persecution? See, they even claimed that Paul was teaching circumcision to be saved, which he wasn't. Now, as a Pharisee, he may have taught that, but he's no longer a Pharisee. He's a born-again Christian. And he says, if I was still preaching circumcision, why am I being persecuted? I'm doing what they're doing, but they're still persecuting you. And he says, yet I suffer persecution. Then is the offense of the cross ceased? Remember what pastor preached on this morning? 
Uh, what was that? What was he in? First Thessalonians 1, 18. The cross of Christ is a stumbling block to those who don't believe. Turn over to um, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, unto the Greeks foolishness. 1 Thessalonians, preacher, pastor spoke about it this morning. 1 Thessalonians 1. Where's 1 Thessalonians? There it is. 1 Thessalonians 1. First, no, it's 1 Thessalonians you've been in this morning. 1 Thessalonians. Uh, where is it? Wrote that down. What did they do with it? Was he in First Corinthians this morning? I thought it was Thessalonians. First Corinthians. Well, maybe it was. I wrote that down. Then I can't even figure out where I'm at. Anyway, <laughs> Pastor taught about it this morning that the cross of Christ was foolishness to those who don't believe. Right? That's what Paul is saying. He said, if I'm being persecuted and I'm preaching circumcision, then the cross in which I preach is, you know, it's an offense. It's, it's, the cross ceases to be anything worth anything. Paul says that if I am preaching wrong doctrine, then that cross means nothing of what I've been teaching you. He says it's an offense. It, it doesn't do anything anymore. 1 Corinthians 1.18. You may be right, J.L. I think that's what it was. 1.18. For the preaching of the cross is to the... That's right. You were, I was right here on the page and we didn't see it. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Paul tells them it is an offense to those who preach the wrong doctrine don't believe. For I would they were even cut off which trouble you. Paul had, <laughs> I don't want to say Paul was mean, but Paul was upset. He said, I wish they were even cut off which trouble you. Uh, he doesn't, he, I don't think he meant that he wished they were dead, but they would cut off from being around you or being with you or being anywhere near you cut off from, from, from where you're at or away from you. He doesn't want them being there because they're causing problems. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. You've been called unto liberty. You've been called into a freedom. When I first started looking at this, I got to thinking about a prisoner. When a man goes to prison for something, and let's say he spends 10 years in prison, when he first goes in, he knows nothing about what goes on. He, he probably first few days you get in trouble. Uh, I had some first-hand experience with this, but I'm not going to go into that. But when the prisoner goes into prison, he, he has to learn the routine. Especially if he's going to be there a long time. By the time the end of his 10 years is over with, 
he'd gone through all that uh, uh, trouble or all that uh, rituals and daily routines that the prisons make you do. You may have even been, gotten in trouble while you're in there and things like that. But when he steps out that front gate as a free man, the first verse that says up here, be steadfast in that liberty of Christ. Like that prisoner, when you get out of that prison, if you truly don't want to go back, what do you do? You stand fast in making sure you don't go back. You do what's right. You make up for what you did wrong. But he says, he, you've been called into this liberty. You've been freed from the bondage of that law that was holding you back from carrying the loving God and doing the things that he wanted you to do. But he says, now you have a liberty here. Don't use it for an occasion to the flesh. We have a, a lot going on these days where people are teaching that, well, you're saved. Now you've got God is going to keep you and, and you're going to go to heaven. But go out and live the way you want to. And you can do that if you want. You have that freedom. But there are consequences to everything. We have that freedom to do as we wish, but why don't we do that? He'll go on to say that right here. It's because of love. But we have this teaching today. A lot of people are teaching, and that's why a lot of people are not in church. They'll come to church. They'll come down to this altar. They'll say a prayer. They may even be taught by one of the deacons or the elders and, and, and you know, show them the scriptures. And they walk out of here thinking, that's it. I've got my bases covered. It's, it's like the, uh, uh, the uh, don't remember who it is, uh, the, the ones who had all the gods, you know, the, these pagans, they had all these gods, the sun god and the, the moon god and the air god and the water god, all this. And they made sure they had their bases covered with every god they could think of. It says even the unknown God. But they wanted to make sure they think, don't use that liberty, he says, for your flesh. And that's what we have a lot going on today, is that liberty. You come in here, you get saved, and when you get saved, and they go out that door, and the next thing you know, they're hanging out down here on the corner, they're going doing the same thing they've always been doing. Nothing's changed. But in their heart, in their mind, they think they have the idea that I can do whatever I want because it doesn't matter, I'm going to heaven. Because I went up and said a prayer. They're using that liberty that God had given them for their flesh. But he says, not an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Paul gets into the point now here that one of the reasons that God has given us that liberty is to serve each other. Pastor talked about it this morning a little bit. It is our job as a Christian, a born again, to serve each other. That's why we come into the house of God. That's why we come into this meeting house. It's so we can be around other people that are of the same mind. We are to be with these other people. We are to do these things, serve each other. Pastor talked about it this morning, preached about it this morning. Just because we do things in the flesh 
doesn't mean it's what God wants. He spoke about it. He said, you know, if we come in here and we do all these things for the church year after year after year, but we're not saved, we've never by grace through faith accepted Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection, his life, it's not going to mean anything. doesn't mean anything because we're doing it in the flesh. I could come up here and I could teach you these things and I could preach to you in the flesh all day long, just like Joe Osteen or anybody else. But it's not going to do any good. And I'm the one who's going to answer for it. He said, we are to serve one another. 1 Peter 2.16 as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. We are not to use our liberty in Christ, our salvation, to having that freedom in Christ, to be able to go and do whatever we want. That's what a lot of these televangelists, these, these so-called preachers are doing. I don't believe they're saved. I really don't. That's my opinion. That I don't have work. I don't have scripture on that, but that's my opinion. Because I see their works and what they're doing and saying. He goes on to say in verse fourteen. He said, "For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself." Turn over to Matthew seven twelve. Matthew 7, 12, let me find it here. Therefore all things, whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do you even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. God says we are to serve one another. Do love. That love for him, that love for God that we are to serve each other. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thy... Who's thy neighbor? Everybody. We got the uh, 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 back-to-school bash going. We, people have donated all the school equipment out here. We're going to give it out. It doesn't matter who it is, we're going to give it out to them. An unsaved person walks in here and asks for some of that, or they come out here to this, this back-to-school bash, and they want to pick up for their kids and... There you are. Help yourself. It doesn't matter whether you're saved or not. We're to serve them one way or another. He said, we do it in love. They are our neighbors. They are a part of us. And in verse 15, he says this, but if ye bite and devour one another. What's he mean by bite and devour? You know, if I have something bad to say to J.L., I should say it to J.L. I should say it to Richard. I should say it to whoever I have something bad. If I have something, I don't want to have something bad to say about them. Okay? That's not the way I should be. I should say good things about them. There you go. Take it to the Lord. But Paul is talking about if you are biting, you're devouring, if you are, if you are having bad attitude towards someone, if you are having a, a wrong way of thinking towards someone, 
If you are devouring them, devouring means to be like a wild beast, to tear them apart. You ever listen to somebody and they just go up and down somebody and they take everything that's wrong with them, everything that they hate about them, everything that they've done? You listen to that and go, what? That's none of your business. It's not for you to judge them or tell them all that stuff. Paul says, if we bite and devour one another, take heed, because guess what? It may come back. We may be the one that's getting devoured. If you ain't got something nice to say about somebody, what, is it, what do you say? Don't say anything. I have a hard problem with that. <laughs> I really do. That's one of my, that's one of my, I have to pray to God every day because I say something and, you know, it just, some things irk me. They really do. If I devour someone, if I cause them problems, if I, if I give them pain and suffering and, and, and I treat them bad, it's going to come back on me. He said, we do this through love. We'll get into verse 16 and so next week uh, where he gets into works of the flesh. And we will see everything that he talks about in here. Each one of those words that he mentions, like adultery and fornication and cleanness and leviticus and idolatry and witchcraft, we'll get into all that. But today, what, what Paul is telling us, he said we need to hold fast to the faith in which we've gotten from Christ, the freedom and that, that, that liberty that we have, and not let these false teachers, these these idol worshipers, these, these so-called televangelists, these so-called preachers change our minds. We need to hold fast to Christ and, his, and faith in him. Anybody have any comments, any, any statements, anything, questions? Anything at all? Yeah, Brother Walter, if you'd like to, come up and tell us what you're up here for. <laughs> Come on up, brother. We can we can do it a little bit. People don't like listening to me a whole lot. They really don't. They they act like they're really nice to me, but you know. <laughs> Come on up. Make a lot of ways to do something like that, huh? Thank you, brother. Well, amen. It certainly is a great joy to be back in the house of God this evening. Thank you, brother, for the lesson tonight. I surely appreciate that. And uh, leave it up to Brother JL there to put everybody on the spot, right? <laughs> Amen. It certainly is a great joy being here. Thank you all so much uh, for praying for us, first and foremost. Uh, it's been a good while since the last time we were here. And, um, and then, of course, through the prayer letters, you've probably been getting updates uh, of my health being, being kind of bad. And uh, back in April of this year, I just about died from from uh, a few things that happened when I got back from the trip, but the good Lord saw fit to leave me here, amen? And uh, uh, I won't give you a, a boring detail of it, but I did contract uh, intestinal colitis, bacterial infection, and salmonella all at the same time. And so that's why I, I just about, I was knocking on heaven's door, brother, to be honest with you. 
And, uh, but the doctor said 12 more hours I'd have been gone. But I do praise the Lord that I got sick. And here's why. Because uh, of the sickness that I got, they found another sickness that they can take care of, which is cancer. I uh, end up getting, uh, they end up finding cancer in my body. Uh, I've got uh, kidney cancer, and I'm scheduled to have surgery September the 12th. I was supposed to have had surgery July the 21st, but I ended up getting sick uh, before, one day before surgery was scheduled on Wednesday. I end up uh, getting uh, uh, not strep throat, but it was, it was pretty close to it. And so the doctor said we cannot perform surgery. Of course, I was aggravated about it, but you know, it's all in the Lord's hands. And so now the surgery has been rescheduled um, for September the 12th at 10 a.m. They're going to go in and take either part or whole or all the kidney. Um, I've, got a, I've got two spots of cancer on my right kidney and a cyst on my left. So I uh, do continue to pray for that. Um, again, I, I have not been able to do a whole lot of ministry as of late because of the, the, the sickness that uh, I contracted. But the Lord is still opening doors every once in a while. I've had to cancel a lot of meetings and stuff. Uh, I am getting back behind the pulpit and preaching some. But as far as the schools are concerned, um, I was not able to go back to school, uh, any schools, uh, back, uh, uh, for the rest of this year, for the school year. And then, of course, as far as any overseas traveling, I'm not allowed to travel overseas anymore until 2023. 20, and so, uh, uh, according to the doctors. So if you would, just continue to pray for that. This is a bump in the road in the ministry for Tater Man. Amen? That's all it is, just a bump in the road. And uh, so uh, that's what I'm looking at it like. And, and, you know, God's in control of this thing. And so uh, continue to pray uh, for that. Uh, maybe it's because he knows I need I don't know. But it's all, it's all up to God. And so I do thank you for your prayers. Uh, pray for my wife. She's having to put up with me. Amen, yeah. She's having to put up with me a lot, so I uh, do, pray, do pray for her. And, uh, of course, uh, my children now, uh, Cheyenne, my daughter, she's still in college and doing well. She's taking a forensic science, going to do something like crime scene investigation, I think is what it's called, but I uh, do pray for her. She goes to Temple Baptist Church there in Mount Airy. And then, of course, Hunter, most of you know him. As a matter of fact, somebody asked me about him when we come in just a moment ago. Uh, he is... Um, He's preaching still. He's got op getting open doors out. Uh, I told him the other day, I was like, son, I'm jealous. You get more open doors than I am anymore. He's getting to preach more than I am, which is fine. Uh, he's actually on his way back from uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee right now as we're speaking. He was out there this week, so do continue to pray for him. Um, and again, uh, biggest thing that's happening right now that's coming up is the surgery. Uh, it's going to happen September the 12th. Uh, again, thank you so much for your prayers. Thank you so much for your support. And uh, we actually come up here tonight to meet the pastor. We hadn't got a chance to meet the new pastor yet. And so uh, we want to uh, probably get a chance to meet him before we leave. Thank you, brother, once again for the opportunity. Thank you, Victor Wade, for loving on us like you have and for praying for us and, and uh, continue to do so. God bless you all. Thank you so much. All right, before we get out of here, we'll pray, and then we'll uh, be excused, and right on time, too. We got you out here, but almost at 730, anyway. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this night. We thank you for being with us as we study your word, as we um, just uh, bring out and, and listen 
and understand what you have for us. Father, we do lift Brother uh, Walter up tonight and ask Father and him and his wife that you just uh, bless him. Uh, Father, heal him. Uh, give him the strength he needs. Uh, continue to bless his ministry and his family. Father, we lift him up to you tonight. Each and every one that's here tonight, Father, we just ask that you would put a blessing upon them, uh, carry them through this week, and just help them in all that they need and do what needs to be done in each and every prayer request that we had earlier. Father, we just want to say we love you. We thank you. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your mercy, especially your grace. We love you and thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right.